Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Jacqueline Gallo. So first of all, good afternoon to you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I, I'm, we're across Atlantic, so um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Listen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. So Jacqueline is really, it's many, many things. And uh, she is, well, I suppose, a speaker. She is a podcaster. She's an author, best-selling author, I, th- I believe I should say as well. Um, and you've done, you do lots of courses. You are a very busy woman in general, really. I think that's fair to say, right? Yes, that is fair to say. <laughs> so tell me, first of all, Jacqueline, what, what's your fire in your belly? What's your passion? I am passionate about helping women create lives they love. Well, why? Because I see majority of people, whether male or female, settling for a life that is good enough because they're afraid of disappointing themselves. They're afraid to go for something and not be able to hit it. And in particular with women, I think there's a lot of societal expectations, especially around being moms and what their role is. And I think a lot of women hold themselves back even more. And being a woman myself, I'm especially passionate about just seeing women rise uh, because I think they're here to make the world a better place. So that's kind of where it comes from. Let's go slightly backwards into this. Why aren't they or why aren't they naturally rising? I think it's based on what they believe is possible for them. And that comes from societal beliefs, things that they heard and saw, especially between birth and eight years old, when so much of our subconscious mind is forming. And because of that, they then make decisions in their life to settle or to go for less than they actually want or than they're capable of. Mm. Okay. I mean, nature, nurture, where do you set? I mean, you talk about the zero to eight. I mean, how much of that is programmed into us as, as a female and how much is, you know, we play with these dolls and we are creative. Where do you sit on that side? Yeah. So I think that it's all nurture in terms of women not going for the things they desire the things they desire may be different than the things men desire. Right. And I think that's where nature comes in and feminine energy versus masculine energy. And we actually all have both feminine and masculine energy, and it's really healthy to have a balance of both, but 
in society, especially in capitalistic society, there is a strong masculine energy. And so women often actually play much more in their masculine. I know as an entrepreneur, I play my masculine a lot, but I consciously work on tapping into my feminine energy. So I think that's where the nature part comes, but the nurture part is really where the settling comes in because we're often told what we can or can't have and what's possible for us. Mm -hmm. Just break that down for you, Willis, will you please? Because the masculine, the, 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 the feminine, the masculine energy, some people may or may not be used to those terms. And yeah. as you say, a, a man has both and a woman has both. And, you know, it's, we are all compromised of both, right? So what, yes. if it's not the actual gender form, what is it then that you def define that as? Masculine energy is the eager, goal-setting, go after it, really strong, powerful, capable energy. Feminine energy is more nurturing, more letting things come to you, slow, um, magnetic, sort of obedient in a sense. And I would say it's really important for women who find themselves playing mostly in the masculine energy, because that's societally how we're taught to behave, to be more open to their feminine energy, to be more open to slow down, to be more open to their intuition, for example, to be more open to inspired ideas. They have creativity would be more so in feminine energy, actually. And then same thing for men. If men find themselves like playing in you know, one side or the other more, just being open to the other side can be really helpful for just being well-rounded and achieving your full potential. It's like a healthy balance with all things. Mm. Not super, I mean, that's super useful to break that down. And I know some people, um, you know, they would sort of say if, if the mind is split up of 5% conscious mind and 95% subconscious mind, whatever your split is, but some people go further and say that the, the conscious mind is the, is the, the masculine side. And the subconscious subconscious is the feminine mind. I mean, do you subscribe to that or what's your thoughts on that? I've never heard it called that, but I will say I'm definitely not an expert in masculine and feminine energy. It's just something I've been playing with probably for about the past maybe two years because I, and this is again, nature versus nurture. I find myself in the masculine so often being so entrepreneurial, so goal oriented. And I have found that by allowing the feminine more to come up and what I mean by that is trusting my intuition more, taking the path of least resistance, slowing down, not just taking action just to take action, just so I feel productive, but taking action that's actually going to move me forward. And that feels aligned to me. I've been exploring it more and more, and I have found that it's created a lot of success for me. So I don't know about the subconscious conscious in terms of masculine and feminine, but it makes sense to me that it would be that way. And I'm open mm. to that. Mm. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. So what's, what's your passion and why is it your passion? I mean, you talk about sort of enabling and helping sort of other females. I mean, what does that do for you or what's your sort of fire in your body, your, your passion and your, your reason for that, if you, if that makes sense. I would say my passion is helping all people, but especially women push the boundary of what they think is possible for them and then actually go for it and see their dreams and goals come to fruition and why it's my passion. I believe that we all were kind of given some sort of potential before we came to earth. Our souls had a meeting with God or whatever you believe in saying, Hey, this is your potential. And 
I've always known since I was a really little girl that I had a really big potential and I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but I remember being eight years old and we'd be down at the Jersey shore and we, my parents loved to go for, um, walks right on the beach block and look at all of the really big houses. And even though we would rent for one week, you know, far from the beach. And I used to tell them at eight years old, I'm going to buy you one of these beachfront houses one day. My parents were like, really? And they were like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be really wealthy. And they thought it was fascinating because I have two older sisters. Neither of them made comments about becoming this wealthy woman at eight years old. They thought something is different about her and they didn't really know what it was. Um, when I was, I think maybe four, my mom took me to the doctors because I wasn't watching any TV and she thought something was wrong with me. <laughs> and he's like, no, she's just not interested. And so I've always kind of been this way, but it developed more and more in college. And when I started my business and particularly probably when I got into the specific type of work that I do now with life coaching and mentoring women, I realized that when I, before I came to this earth, I had a conversation with God. I believe that God said, your potential is to be this thought leader for women, share these empowering messages. You have a gift to speak, to write, and I would love to see you fulfill it. I believe we have free will. So I believe that it's up to me to bring that vision to fruition, but it's just something that I know I'm supposed to do. And the people closest to me in my world, they feel it too. They always say like, your potential is, is so big. And it's just this energy that people around me can feel. And I know I'm supposed to do it. So I think it's a lot more about reaching my full potential. Although I think we never really reach our full potential, uh, at least getting there and having that impact on a lot of people. I think that's the core of it. How, how far along the line do you, do you feel that you are in terms of stepping into your potential? If it was a scale of zero to hundred, I would say I'm at like 11. It's beautiful, right? Yeah. It's exciting. Mm, mm. How far do you reckon you could get <laughs> in this impossible scale of nothingness? Can you repeat the question? I'm just wondering if you have a concept of how long, how in a lifetime, in your oh. lifetime, do you think you will go along the scale? Oh, I hope I'll go to a hundred. <laughs> I, the scale is really interesting because I've studied a lot of very successful people, especially people who have large influence and large following, because that is part of this vision. Right. And it seems that a lot of people become an overnight success after you know decades of work. And so I have this feeling that I'm just going to hit this tipping point where growth will just become exponential. Mm. And I've seen tastes of that, right? Sometimes it's like, you know, I might do dozens of podcast interviews, but one specific interview reaches, you know, a thousand people and I get you know, hundreds of messages and I get a little taste of it. But I have a feeling that one day it's just going to start turning that curve of exponential growth. And I don't know when that day will be. I like to think it's going to be in 2022, speaking that into existence. But I think the really beautiful thing about a big vision for your life and big goals is this paradox of knowing that it's possible now, knowing that every day is filled with limitless possibilities and that there's possible 
miracles today and also being so committed to your why and to your mission that you're willing to do it for another, I don't know, three decades that I would keep doing it at 90 years old, even if I still had the same exact size audience. So it's kind of that paradox that I play in open to it being today and open to it being decades from now. I mean, we're really touching into the law of attraction here, right? You know, it's, it's ask, believe, do receive. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned there, obviously manifestation, that seems to be something that's quite key for you. Yes. Huge part of my teaching and my beliefs. Has it always been that way or is that something that's evolved? A little bit of both. I discovered law of attraction at 16 when my friend lent me the secret and I was naturally always a positive thinker. I know there's this concept in psychology. I don't know what it's called, but about how we're born with sort of like a set point of happiness. Uh, I feel like I was born with some sort of set point of positivity, even as a kid. Again, I think this was all divine plan that I was designed to be this way. I was designed to have an outlook where my head was in the clouds and people often thought, oh man, this girl's going to have a reality check. Whereas no, I was designed this way so that I could show you that you can put your head in the clouds too. And it's actually not that scary and nothing bad will happen. So a little bit of that, but it developed a lot deeper. My understanding developed really when I had my, what I would call rock bottom. So I started my business back in 2016 and it was nothing like what it looks like today. I tried to build a product that failed. Then I tried to make an app that failed three times. And at the end of 2018, I was very close to just giving up, letting go of this dream and getting a regular job. And I decided to turn to personal development because nothing else had worked. And even if I did get a job, I thought, I'm going to feel really crappy. So I should probably try to make myself feel better. So I started reading a lot of different books and listening to podcasts and immersing myself in the world of personal development. And little by little, I became more and more fascinated with law of attraction and all of the universal laws and manifestation. And in the beginning, it was a lot of knowing the concepts and regurgitating them. I wanted to teach them to everyone but not quite understanding them, not fully embodying them. And as time went on through different lessons, through different challenges, I started to learn them on much deeper levels where I had to embody them to get the results I wanted. I wasn't just going to be able to have a surface level understanding and create the success I wanted. And I think it's a never ending journey. I'm constantly going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, but my audience is a few steps behind me. And so I'm able to show them things that really help me and create massive shifts for them. So that's kind of how it's evolved so far. Mm. It's a beautiful journey, right? You know, and as, as you said, it's evolving all the time. That's, it's not a red pill, blue pill situation. It's a, it's a lifestyle you're taking on, right? Absolutely. Tell me, just out of interest, you, you, you split the, the values or the, the actual, emotions, if you like, of happiness and positivity. Can you explain that? What, what each means to you and why you split them? Hmm. Yeah. Good question. I think positivity is seeing the potential good in every situation. So for example, a few weeks ago, my husband and I 
we're heading to a wedding in Tennessee. We live um, Pennsylvania and uh, our friend was getting married in Tennessee and it was in Chattanooga, which if you're familiar with Tennessee is a very small city and they have an airport that only flies to a few other cities. So they don't fly from Philadelphia. So we had to do the whole connecting flight. So we connected in Atlanta, which is a big hub on the East coast. And our connection was delayed overnight. So we're at the airport until 6am. We fortunately decided to get a hotel room and it was not a fun situation because we weren't really getting any sleep. It was delayed, delayed, delayed again, so that we didn't find out that it was delayed overnight until like 2 a.m. So by the time we got to the hotel room, we're getting like a few hours of sleep because then the flight leaves at 6 a.m. So we have to be back at the airport by, you know, four or five to get through security, the whole thing. And my husband's a little grumpy about it. And here <laughs> I am just like, it's okay. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know in this moment why this is happening. I, I can't see it. I don't have the crystal ball and I'm definitely not happy. I was frustrated. I wanted to rent a car. They had our luggage because they forced us to check our bags on the first flight, even though we didn't want to, because there wasn't enough overhead storage, the whole thing. I was angry. I was frustrated. We had to pay for the hotel room because all of these people were trying to get the free rooms. And I thought, I'm not waiting in that line. I need to get some sleep. So still hoping to get reimbursed for that. But you know, the whole thing, I was definitely not happy, but in the moment I was positive. I knew that there was something, whether I would ever see it or not in that moment that was serving me. And sometimes we see it in the moment. Sometimes we see it later. Sometimes we never see it, but we can trust that maybe that plane was going to crash. That sounds horrible and scary, but we can trust that there was something there that served us. And in this situation, it just turned out that I realized it on Sunday of that weekend when we came home from the wedding, because Friday, when we were in the airport, delayed, 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 I was really bored. And I decided to uh, look for some documentaries to watch. And I found this documentary about happiness, ironically. Uh, it was called Happy. I believe it was on Amazon Prime. The image is like clouds, if you're trying to watch it. Clouds with the word happy in the cover. And I watched it. And it was about happiness. And they, the creators went to different places all over the world and studied happiness. Very wealthy people, very poor people. And found common themes around what created happiness. And it got me thinking subconsciously throughout the entire weekend of what creates my happiness. And it was kind of this like dull thought in the background as I experienced the moments of the weekend, being at the wedding and getting on the flight home. And then on the flight home, all of a sudden, my brain just dumped out an entire outline for my third book. And it's about happiness and the journey to pursuing your goals and how they fit together. And then it hit me. If the plane was never delayed, I would have never watched that documentary, which would never have sparked this line of thinking, which would never have created now what's going to be my third book. And it was the positivity that probably even allowed me to be open to enjoying as best as I could those moments, even though I was annoyed, even though I was frustrated. So I think happiness is an emotion, whereas positivity is a state of being. That's the way I would describe it differently. Mm. And what are you? 
I'm happy a lot of the time, but not all the time. I feel human emotions and emotions are good, right? Abraham Hicks teaches emotions as our guidance system. So I see emotions just as a way for me to one process things I need to process, work through things I need to work through and aim to be happy more of the time, but know that I'm not supposed to be happy all of the time. If I was, I probably wouldn't be going for these big goals and challenging myself, but I'm definitely positive. I wouldn't say hundred percent of the time. I would say probably like 95 and I'm pretty happy with that. What's your superpower? I think my superpower is my ability to believe in unrealistic things things that people think are just so crazy and wild and out there and could never happen and could never work out. And then they work out for me, but I'm not special or different. I just believed they could and took the steps to put myself in the situation to get there. I love the quote by Seneca, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. I have the preparation and believe in the opportunity and I create my luck. And the cool thing is, Sometimes you can't see it for yourself. Sometimes things feel out of reach, but when someone else can believe in you and can see them for you, it gives you just enough self-belief to put yourself out there to go for it. And that can create so much magic because once you prove to yourself, oh my gosh, I did this thing that was so hard, that was so scary that I thought would never work out for me, then you do it over and over and over again. So it's not really about me. I think it's about me putting that belief into others so that they can have that experience for themselves and prove to themselves that what society defines as realistic or possible, they don't need to necessarily live by. Just uh, trying to explain or trying to understand this, this aspect of, you know, believing when almost you believe in, in the unrealistic as you, as you described it there, it's like, how do you get around that? Because when it's even just the, the definition unrealistic, right? So, so that's a belief. It's a judgment that it's not possible or whatever, right? Is it the challenge of what's possible or, you know, the challenge of what could be done or is it the, is it the, it's the creation to create something that's there or is it, you know, it, I suppose maybe the better question is, you know, do you prefer to fix things or do you prefer to create things? What's, where's your natural power lay? Well, fixing feels like an icky energy to me. Like I have to fix something's wrong. And I try to never behave out of an energy of fear. And that's what fixing feels like, whereas creating feels like an energy of love. So something I teach my clients is that it doesn't really matter the action you take because one action for one person could be coming from love, but from another person could be coming from fear. So let's give the example of giving a really generous Christmas gift to a friend. One person could give this out of love because they're like, oh my gosh, this friend does so much for me and they're just gonna love this gift and they can't wait to give it to them. But another person could give that same gift out of fear because they're like, if I don't give my friend a really nice gift, are they still going to like me? Are they going to think less of me? Are they going to judge me for maybe not having my finances all organized and able to afford this really nice gift? I should just give it to them just to get their attention or to keep their love. Right. And so it's not about the action. It's about the energy behind it. And it doesn't serve us to take action out of that negative energy because 
law of attraction, that's what we're going to attract back. So even when an action seems logically like it would be good, I don't let that determine my behavior. I let my behavior be determined by my energy behind it. So I just don't like the word fixing. So I probably would not say that I would fix. Um, Sometimes there are problems, but I like to look for solutions. So even though it's the same thing, right? I would approach it from a solution energy because that feels light. And words don't really matter at the end of the day because the word solutions could mean one thing to me and something to someone else. And I found that with coaching, I'll try to suggest words and people are like, no. Some people are super triggered by the word goal because they've had such bad experience. Then let's just not use that word, right? They just have this negative attachment with that word. So words don't necessarily matter, but I would say for me, it's about approaching it from uh, an energy of creation. And that... That ability, what can you explain or, or maybe give some advice about how you guide people to look beyond? So it is a case of saying rather than don't just your fixed beliefs of that's not possible. Mm-hmm. How do you guide to say to someone, you know, listen, just believe, right? Just <laughs> magic one belief, you know, and that, that's fine, right? But that to bypass is the conscious mind and to get that in. How do you, how do you help people to, to get over themselves in the nicest possible way? Yeah. You always have to start where you are. It's really difficult to climb from one vibration to a drastic jump in another, to go from one emotion that's really low to go to a higher positive emotion. It's much easier to take one step at a time. So I would often start with something like, what if it were possible? And they might ponder that, like, what might that create for you? You know, what would that look like? It's not saying it definitely is right. Um, when we talk about affirmations, I often teach my clients bridge affirmations. So instead of saying, if somebody's goal is to become a millionaire and they're $50,000 in debt, instead of saying I'm a millionaire now, or I'm a millionaire today, which a lot of books and things teach, I would suggest to them to practice an affirmation. Like I'm in the process of creating financial freedom. I wouldn't even use the word millionaire because that might really trigger them. And then there's more resistance than there is uh, positive feelings going that way. So I would start where they are. Uh, Another thing that really helps is to give our brains evidence. I call these evidence lists and I actually create them in my phone so that they're on me at all times. Because once you start looking for the evidence, what happens is your reticular activating system. So the filtering system of your brain will start noticing more and more evidence. It's always been there, but you didn't see it. So for example, if your goal is going with the same example is to become a millionaire and maybe a belief that you're working on is that, um, money flows into my life easily and effortlessly. And right now you feel like it's really hard. Money's always hard. You have to work really hard for money. And so you create this evidence list of money flowing easily. And then every time in your life, an example of money coming in easily, you write it on this list. So you're walking down the street and you see one penny and you pick it up and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so easy. I just walked down the street and this money was waiting for me. And people are like, oh, but it's just a penny. But that's the point, right? The point is to give your brain as much evidence as possible and start shifting that filter. It's like, imagine um, like if you're like straining pasta or something and um, the holes are like really, really small, right? And so only the water can get through that's what you see. You're seeing all water. And let's say you're looking for pasta. 
And let's say, just to go with this metaphor, just by picking up that penny, writing it down, all of a sudden the holes grow. And now pasta clumps are getting through. That's what you want. You were looking for the pasta the whole time, but the pasta was always there. It just wasn't getting through. So our brains have to filter because we come across so much information on a daily basis. We have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. It would be impossible. I always give the example of imagine driving down a highway and every billboard, your brain screams out the advertisement. It would be super annoying, right? So we don't do that. Or gosh, scrolling through social media, your brain screams out everything it sees. We have to have a filter. So the more evidence you can give your brain, the better. So going back to that money example, then maybe a few weeks later, it's your birthday and you get a card in the mail with a check for $25. Great, write that on the list. Then maybe you randomly get a bonus at work. Then maybe your stock that you've invested in goes up drastically and you have some money there easily. You didn't have to do anything. It just went up, right? And little by little, you give your brain more and more evidence and you start to believe that more and more and more and more. And eventually it just becomes who you are. And that's when it becomes a part of your identity. So you have to start small and you have to start where you are. And the more evidence you can give your brain of things that are possible and maybe even like reflecting on your past is helpful. So when was there a time in my life where I did something that maybe other people would have thought wasn't possible? So maybe you can say like, I ran a 5k, even though I was 30 pounds overweight and other people probably would have said before I started that training that no way she was going to do that, but I did it anyway. Right. Or I graduated college, even though I had X, Y, Z challenges in my life at the time I made it through. Right. So we can all usually find examples in our life of things we've accomplished that may have looked really difficult or it may have looked impossible at one time that we did. So giving your brain more evidence, all of those things help. That's beautiful. So, I mean, it is all perspective, right? It's a perspective comparing where you are to where you, where you can be, could be, right? So that, a lot of it's coming down to language. Is that fair enough? Is language and, and language and behavior? Yeah, because our thoughts create our feelings. And I think a lot of people get tripped up when they talk about changing their thoughts because so many of our thoughts are subconscious. So it's much easier to start with our words, right? We, we say our words out loud. We can write our words down in a journal. We can reread it. If we're not conscious of what we wrote, reread it and look for the words that are holding you back, right? Or the words that aren't serving you. And how can you start just speaking in a way that sets you up for what you want and that feels good to you. Start there and you'll notice that your thoughts will naturally change with it. And it makes it a lot easier to change the way you think. What are some of your favorite words then? Mm, capable, powerful, possible, temporary. Hmm. Bit of a curveball. Those are the ones that come to mind. Why temporary? So I'm a big advocate for building resilience. And sometimes in life, we're going to face ups and downs. And one of the things that really helps me in difficult times is knowing that this is temporary and I can get through anything for X time. So this happens both in uh, 
I don't know the word active, uh, challenges, self-created challenges and real challenges. So for example, exercise. Mm. So if I'm doing a really tough workout, so I like to do soul cycle and they have these like pushes where you have to like push the pace to go faster than the pace of the song. It's really hard, but I know it's temporary. And I'll say to myself, like in my head while I'm doing it, this is temporary. I can do anything for 30 seconds. So then in real life, when let's just say one month, my business makes significantly less revenue than it typically does. And I'm like, oh no, your brain starts to freak out, right? Make it mean something. Then I say like, oh, this is temporary. I can get through this for one month. I can get through anything for one month, right? And then I just move on in the next month. I create what I want to create and I don't let it hold me back. But most people stay stuck. They stay in that place of, I don't have the results I want. And then they focus on that. And then what they create is more of that. And they're like, well, I've been stuck for months or years. Why? Well, it's because you keep recreating the same thing over and over again. So if you just know it's temporary, then it just feels so much lighter and everything passes. It might take a long time to pass, right? We said a pandemic is temporary. It's still here, but eventually all things do pass. All challenges do pass. The sun always comes out again. So that's, that's why temporary. Mm. That's a, it's a beautiful way of looking at it, right? I mean, it's, it also sort of sets the fallibility of our lives. Really. It's, there's a lot of temporary stuff that we think is there for either good and bad. Right. Yeah. And it helps us appreciate too, right? Like the good, it could mm. be temporary and it's not to be afraid or anything, but just really appreciating every moment. What, I mean, where where's your normal creative space? I mean, do you do you like to, do you think inside yourself? Do you like to take time out? Are you in the shower, sort of a girl? Are you up a mountain? You know, what's your thing? Or some people I know like to jump on stage, and that's when they hit their hit their flow, right? I mean, what's what what does it for you? Mm. I spend a lot of time alone and without noise. When I say without noise. I really mean without anything that's limiting. So I, I might still like consume something. I might still read a book or listen to a podcast, but something that is very in alignment for what I believe or what I would like to believe. Hmm. So whether it's just on my couch, journaling on a walk in the bath at a workout class, it doesn't really matter where it is, but I think that as creators, we need to take time without noise so that we can tap into our best ideas. I don't think it's ironic that I have now outlined one book and wrote multiple chapters of another book on an airplane because there's no noise. My phone is literally on airplane mode. Nobody can text me. Nobody can call me. Right. Of course, without the, all that noise, it's like, boom, a book idea was born. So I think that the key theme of my creativity is uh, quiet. Hmm. That's interesting. And how do you, do, do you need to sense check your ideas? Cause you know, as you say, Oh, here's a book idea. And how do you, can you tell the difference between it being a really good idea and something for you to execute and just 
I don't know, just a fun idea, if that makes sense, you know, just a passing thought as opposed to, because if you, if you write a book or do something with every thought, right, you're going to, you're going to be very busy and, you know, you're going to make things worse rather than better. Right. So do you have a, a, a sort of a, a check that you put in for yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. And yes, I have a lot of ideas that go nowhere and I choose to take them nowhere. So have you ever heard of human design? Yes. Okay. I'm not, not a lot. No, not a lot. So, you know, okay. I'm... I'm not an expert in it, but um, if you're if you're listening and you're unfamiliar with human design, it is uh, essentially a um, process similar to a lot of other um, processes for knowing yourself, like astrology or the Enneagram that uses different ancient teachings. You put in your birth date, time of birth, similar to astrology. And, um, you can read all about it, but there are four different types. And, um, my type is a generator and within being a generator, there's different, uh, ways that you can essentially like make decisions. And Mayan is called emotional authority. And when I heard this, and when I was explained what it is by a human design coach who did a um, workshop at a retreat, I hosted I think it was back a year ago about it was incredibly eye-opening for me because the way that I have always made decisions my entire life is on this wave of up and down and up and down and up and down. And my mom sensed this about me when I was a kid. So whenever I was a kid and I would tell my mom, oh, I want to do this. I don't want to do this. I want to do this. I don't want to do this. She would tell me, why don't you sleep on it? Because she recognized that I was really unsure. And it made so much sense when it was finally uh, acknowledged that nothing was wrong with me, that I sometimes go up and down and up and down on ideas, but that's actually the way I was created. And the way that um, I was taught by this human design coach to kind of navigate emotional authority is to ride the wave of your emotions. So allow yourself to feel up one day, down one day, up one day, and eventually the wave will even out and be like, very like a straight line and you'll be sure of your decision. So that's how I feel about a lot of new ideas in my business, especially for bigger things. If it's just an idea for a social media post, what's the worst that could happen is if I share it with the world. Right. But if it's an online course or a book, that's going to take significant time, energy resources to create. I allow myself to ride the wave of emotional authority. So I'll write it down and then I won't act on it yet. So this book idea I had on December I think 12th and today, which we're recording January 10th is the first day that I actually started working on the book. So I let it be a solid almost month to make sure that I felt hundred percent about it. And the idea just got stronger and stronger. I got more and more excited about it as opposed to in the past. I actually have had book ideas where I even like one book I was going to write six months ago, I was going to interview people. I did a few interviews and I was like, I don't want to write this book. I'm not interested in it. I just thought I was for a day or so. So that's the way that I do it. I just allow myself to ride the wave and really feel sure before I take action on it. And that helps me. So I would encourage you if you're listening to, um, yeah, look at your human design and see if there's anything you might be able to find about the way you make decisions. Mm. And if we're all to jump on a bus and come and look at your office, what would we find? Well, I could show you. <laughs> 
clean, so, organized structure? Yeah, it's yeah, of course. So this is my backdrop. I just think it's really pretty. Um, I have a printer, a mm-hmm. uh, champagne bottle with my goal on it. So it wow. says million dollar year. Um, wow. I have a couch, which I sit on a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I have a, a bunch of whiteboards, like all over my walls where oh, wow, I write yeah. down like all my goals and affirmations. And yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it. I'm not returning the favor. That's okay. <laughs> my my <laughs> workspace is chaos, absolute chaos, right? It's always interesting because when we get creative people, right? So it depends. It seems to be either it is, I mean, absolute massive compliments. Your your workplace is very streamlined, very tidy, which, you know, says a lot, I think, in many ways. Whereas I would be quite, quite creative, but I'm, you know, creative in the midst of chaos as well. It's just different, right? I think I, I don't know how to thrive in a chaotic environment. Okay. It puts my body into physical stress. I think physical things, and this is really interesting because there's, there's a lot of information in society about, you know, happiness is internal and physical things, external things are bad or wrong. I don't believe that. And this is proof that, you know, if the physical things in my space weren't pretty, weren't organized, weren't colorful. I wouldn't feel as centered and excited to work. So that's just how I thrive. But I think everyone is different. And I think the most important thing is getting to know yourself and how you thrive. Well, what is your your learning style then? You know, you talked about there, you know, sort of immersing yourself in, you know, learning sort of personal development and, and really sort of looking at the habits and podcasts and things. Is, is that your style? You know, if you're taking on something new or learning a new skill or whatever, what, what would your traits be? I think repetition. And I think this is, this is how our brains work in general. I mean, I remember I was really good at school and in high school, I had this midterm for my AP U.S. history class. And I had like 300 terms of, you know, different people in United States history. And our teacher told us the terms. So I wrote them on index cards. I memorized them and I got a hundred on the midterm and majority of our class failed the midterm. So my teacher called me in and was like, I'm just really confused. Like most of the class failed. I'm just curious, like what you did, like where the disconnect is, like, did I not teach this material, whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm confused how the class failed. You told us exactly what was going to be on it. So I just memorized it and something clicked for me that day because I realized that you don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to have the highest IQ. And I've never even taken an IQ test. I don't know what my IQ is, but I know that I don't have a photographic memory. And I know that whenever I was in school, there were always kids that seemed to be smarter than me. They could study less and get a better grade. But it didn't matter to me because if I was willing to immerse myself in the material, I would learn it. And as I've learned about the brain post school in my studies of personal development and the subconscious mind, repetition is the brain's language. So it makes sense that that's not only how we perform in school, but it's how we perform as adults. And the cool thing is the stuff I learn now, I want to learn. So not everything I studied in school, I was interested in, right? I just had to take the class because of my degree and whatever. And that's arguable. Did I have to do it? No, that's a whole nother conversation. But 
now everything that I study, I'm excited about. I can't wait to dive into this book. I can't wait to learn this concept. So I just reiterate the concepts over and over and over again. But the thing that I will say is really important that I touched on a little bit earlier is embodiment. So one time I was taking an online course and uh, it was James Wedmore. And he said something really interesting. He said, if I gave you a book about how to swim and you memorized every word of the book, you still wouldn't know how to swim unless you were thrown in a pool and you actually applied it. And it clicked for me that the memorization, the repetition, the understanding of the concepts is important, but it's really only 50% of it. So the other 50% of my learning style is living it, trying it, going out there and putting these concepts to practice. And sometimes I fail and sometimes things don't work or sometimes I have all kinds of experiences, but that's the way that I learn. And the cool part is that's the way I teach. And when we go deeper into how humans learn, I also know that metaphors are really helpful for our subconscious mind and storytelling. And so it makes so much sense that I go and I live and I have an experience and then I teach about it. Hey, I just embodied this thing. Here's what it looked like. And then it clicks for other people and then they can embody it. So long story short, my learning style would be probably repetition plus embodiment. And I think that that's how our brains work. And I think there's different ways to repeat. Like you might be more of an audio learner than reading a book, right? But repetition is going to serve all of us and embodiment's going to serve all of us. Do you, do you find the writing down, the, the actual replaying it or interpreting it back into your own thinking? Is, is that a step in the process for you? Yeah, I journal a lot. I think I, I, I don't really write down. I mean, if I'm taking an online course or something, yes, I will write down like what they said, just to write it down to see it in front of me. But if I'm reading a book or listening to a podcast, I don't really take notes on it. But what I do is I might pause it and then like, brain dump how it applies to me. So if someone is teaching a concept about, hmm, trying to think of an example of something maybe recently. Okay. So I was listening to a podcast the other day. This was my Saturday night activity. And my husband was laughing because he uh, went to a bar to watch the Eagles game. And I was doing some kind of personal development. He's like, good thing you can entertain yourself. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast and, um, she was talking about the host was talking about why people hold themselves back from their income goals. And one of the things she said was that we fear that if we have a certain amount of money, we're going to spend it all. So she recommended writing out your plan for your income goal. So if you were to make the money you want to make, what would you actually do with it? So I paused the podcast without even thinking this was so natural. This felt like the most natural thing in the world. I hit pause. I write down 100 K months. And then I write down like January and exactly what accounts I would allocate to how much taxes are, how much I would save, how much I would spend. Then I thought, Oh, I want to go on a trip. And I planned a trip and I went on, um, Airbnb and I looked at the prices and I wrote down the price of first class flights and I planned the entire trip. And then I did February and I did the same thing. And the money was going here. The money was going here. Okay. And then we have this much in savings Then I'm going to do this. And it was so fun and it was so natural and it was so effortless. So it wasn't about writing down necessarily everything the host was saying about our fears around money. It was about actually applying the exercise and, and doing it 
in my life. So that's kind of the way I bring writing into it. And it usually feels like very natural. It's not usually a forced thing. I mean, there's an element of visualization there too, right? You know, so you're connecting to your future self. Is that, is that, have I picked that up correctly? Yes. Pretty much everything I do is future self, I would say. <laughs> or right. working through a block that's preventing me from stepping into my future self. I mean, uh, how, how do you connect to your future self? Or, you know, do you have any examples of, to help other people to connect to that? Yeah. I think first just setting goals, like being clear on where you want to go. And sometimes people tell me they don't know where they want to go. I would argue that you probably know you're just afraid to set the goal because you're afraid of being disappointed. If you really feel like you don't know, try to connect with the feelings, not specific tangible things, but I want to feel happy. I want to feel free. I want to feel whatever it is start there and just imagine maybe what does that look like? What does freedom look like? And you might just imagine you're on a beach. Uh, you, I don't know, take a walk, you go grab some lunch, right? So it doesn't have to be so clear if, if you feel stuck on it, but if you are clear, if you're like, okay, these are some of the things I want. I want to make this much money. I want to accomplish these things. I want my family to look like this. I want whatever it is, right? Then once you have that mapped out, Focus on imagining a scenario, put yourself in it, living it with each one. So every morning I write down um, 10 goals. I use Rachel Hall's to start today journal. So you write the goals as if they've already happened. And I personally write mine in the format of thank you for, because it feels just so good. It, it elicits all the gratitude for everything that I know is coming. So I might say, thank you for my million dollar business. And then I will imagine, I will close my eyes and I see myself teaching a masterclass with thousands of women on it, asking questions. And I, I just, I see it. I see the tea I'm drinking. I see the outfit I'm wearing. I see all different parts of it. Sometimes things in the vision aren't so clear. Don't get so caught up. So if I say, thank you for my dream car, old part of me was like, is it white or is it black? Are the seeds black leather or red leather? And then I realized, well, I'm open. I don't have a strong feeling right between them. So I don't have to get caught up. Whatever I see in one vision is what I'm meant to see. It doesn't need to be the same in all the visions. Sometimes I find that when doing any kind of connection with future self, any kind of imagining, putting yourself in that triggers may actually come up. Resistance may come up. This is good. This is, this is showing you where you need to do your work. So the other night when I was doing the exercise with writing out my hundred K months, I thought, am I really going to spend that much on a flight? And even though in my visualization, I had made a hundred thousand dollars in the month, I was so concerned about spending, you know, 1600 on a first class flight. And so I noticed these things coming up and I thought, okay, this is where my work is to be done, right? This is where I can grow. This is where I can step into. Is that what I desire? Yes. Does that feel in alignment for me? Yes. And just kind of breathe through it, allow it, release it. So that's something that you may notice as well, but it's just starting with some scripting. Everyone is different. So this is where we talk about the learning style. Some people writing is going to help. Some people closing their eyes and imagining is going to help. Some people say they can't close their eyes and imagine and they can't write. Maybe you can speak out loud 
about what it is. So sometimes I do this on date night with my husband, we will actually have dinner and we will just talk the whole time about like all the stuff we're going to create, like, Oh my gosh, we're going to buy this business. And here's what we're going to do with it. And it's going to be so fun. And so just being with someone else so we can kind of like talk about it, bounce ideas. We do it for our home, right? We're going to build this edition. We're going to do that. We're going to put a walk-in closet, right? It's so fun. we're so excited. We're in the energy the entire time of the future. And we believe it's possible for us, right? So you might need to bounce it off someone else, or maybe you bounce it off yourself. Maybe you just record a voice recording in your phone just with yourself, of yourself talking about what you want because talking is easier than writing, right? So there's lots of ways you can do it. There's no right way. It's really about how can you get yourself in the energy of the things you want and and like imagine they're happening or get excited about them or plan for them. Mm, I love that. That's, that's sort of almost taking the dream and putting it into a physical reality, right? So then we can, or f- physical imaginary reality, so we can we can see how that's actually going to feel for us, yeah? Yeah. And then that's what creates the manifestation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's in the simplest form. That's what manifestation is, isn't it? Really that, you know, you're living because I mean, you do, and I know you talk about it there, you know, you talk about people setting unrealistic goals or else goals that are not necessarily connected to the future self. I mean, what do you say to people about that? There's, there's sort of these wonderful goals, but they're just unrealistic for them or they're not what they really, you know, it's not what people really want. They're doing it because, my next door neighbor set that goal or that seemed to be the right thing or whatever. Right. There's no emotion with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. So when I talked earlier about the why and how like the dichotomy of you can know that it's possible today, but be willing to commit to it for 10 years, that's usually a good test because if you're doing it because you're worried about what your neighbor thinks or someone in your life or that society thinks you're not going to be willing to commit to it for 10 years. So that's a good test. Um, I would call that just an out of alignment goal. Mm. And if it's an out of alignment goal, let it go. It's not serving you. It's not serving anyone. It's not going to make you happy. And here's the thing. The people who are going to judge you, who are going to have comments that you're trying to prove something to, or please, they will never be satisfied. They're always going to have a comment, right? So just please yourself and don't worry about pleasing them because people are always going to have something to say. For the goals that you actually do want that feel in alignment for you, but you've just been told they're unrealistic, those are the ones that I recommend really connecting to, imagining. Okay, if you think it's unrealistic, what if you just allow yourself for five minutes to pretend? It could be unrealistic, but what about pretending? Pretend you're a little kid again and you have an imaginary friend, right? Nobody says that you're five-year-old who maybe has imaginary friends. Nobody's like, that's unrealistic. Tell them to hang out with real friends, right? Like nobody cares, right? It's so just put yourself in that place, put yourself in the place of, okay, I'm just going to pretend and and see what happens. And I believe if we can imagine it, then it's possible. What's, um, what sort of advice would you give to people? As you say, they're trying, they're either stuck in their head or their situation and they can't necessarily see what's going on or how to change They say, I know something needs to change or they suspect something needs to change. I mean, where, where's a great place for people to start? Yeah, I think that it's important to, to see what's going on underneath the surface. Like, is there any healing that needs to be done? Right. So if they need therapy or they need some kind of support to work through that, that's the first step. If they are in a place where they're like, okay, I don't think there's anything super traumatic. Like I'm ready to 
move forward, but I just don't know which step to take. You can't really take the wrong step because every step is going to give you emotions, which is your guidance system. So if you take that job because you're sick of your old job and you're not really sure if it's the right job, but you don't know what job to take next. So you just take that one. You're either going to enjoy that job or not so much. And then you're going to be closer, right? So every step you take is always going to get you closer. You can't really take the wrong step. I think we put way too much emphasis in society around making the right decision. We're always putting out a list of pros and cons. Close your eyes, trust your intuition, know that it's always guiding you exactly where you're meant to be. And the worst case scenario is that it guides you to something that doesn't feel so good. That's a bad experience. And I believe that it guided you there because there was something you needed to learn that's preparing you for your full potential. So when you just take the stress and pressure off it and just allow yourself to trust yourself and just do something, take some action, never wait, waiting attracts more waiting, then it will just unfold and you'll always know the next step. And you don't need to know two steps ahead. You just need to know one step ahead Mm -hmm. and you always will. Right size chunks, right? You know, just don't try and take it all on at once. Yeah. What's, I mean, was there key moments in your life that either through advice or through realization for you that made a significant difference? You know, that really, it was a sliding doors moment or a enough was enough that really made all the difference. Yeah. Many times. I think we have to have those moments, right? I think they're blessings. The first one was when I started my business. So I was doing an internship and I actually liked it. I felt like I was at an 80 in terms of, we'll call it joy. I think joy and happiness are a bit different. I think happiness is more of the emotion and joy is more of that state of being. I think I was at about an 80 and I knew, actually, I didn't know. I wondered if it was possible to be at a hundred. And the wonder was enough to pursue something because I thought, what's the worst? What's the worst thing that can happen? That's actually a great question. Uh, I ask my clients that a lot because usually they're so afraid and the worst case scenario is not so bad. So I'm like, what's the worst thing that can happen? I try to start a business. I either don't like it anymore. I'm at an 80 or worse, less. And I go get another job where I'm sure I can find another job where I'm at an 80 or come back to this company, right? Or that's it. I fail maybe. Okay. Then I go get the job and I go back to the 80. So, but the best case scenario is that I get to hundred or close to it, 95, maybe. So that was moment number one that really impacted me. And I just went for it and it was a long journey, lots of failure, but here I am. And I'm very happy. I took that journey and I would say, yeah, I'm probably at like a solid 95 now. So I'm really glad I did it and was willing to risk the possibility of failing or being unhappy with the potential to find that higher level of joy and just overall like passion for life, really. Um, do you want me to go into some other moments or... Yeah, sure. If you, I mean, if that comes to mind. Okay. So I would say the second really turning point then was at the end of 2018, when I had failed and failed and failed and failed. 
and nothing was working. And I thought, let me take this personal development stuff really seriously. And one of the things I committed to doing that really changed a lot for me, and this is where my obsession with language really began. I was not going to speak any words out of my mouth that didn't get me closer to where I was going or where I wanted to go. So I had realized I wanted to become a speaker at this time. I came across a Facebook ad, which inspired me to take this course about speaking. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. So I knew where I wanted to go, but I essentially had very little proof or evidence that it was going to work. And this is where it was the most difficult to speak that way because people would ask me questions and I didn't have a lot of answers. And it also felt very uncomfortable to lie, right? We've been taught not to lie. So what I had to do was find pieces of evidence that it was working and tell the story in a really unique way that didn't feel like a lie, but that was setting me up for what I wanted. So for example, I went to get my hair done, uh, maybe like a month into my speaking outreach. So I had been spending like full time, 40 hours a week, just emailing colleges saying, I'm a speaker, hire me to speak. And I decided that I was going to prepare myself for my speeches. So I was going to get my hair done. I was going to buy a few outfits that I could speak in and be prepared so that when I landed those speaking gigs, then I would be ready to go. So I was at the hairdresser and, you know, women always talk to the hairdresser about all kinds of things in their life. So she's like, what's new? And I'm like, well, I'm um, speaking now. I'm doing this like speaking tour. And she's like, oh my God, so cool. Where are you going to be speaking? And it's like, oh no, she's going to catch me. I don't have any speaking gigs booked. So I, I paused. I thought to myself, okay, how can I word this? And I said, well, I'm in the process of coordinating with colleges across the country. So I will probably speak on the West Coast, on the East Coast, in the Midwest, in the South, basically all over the country. And I felt so good saying that because it was true. I was in the process. Now, what did the process mean? It meant I started the conversation. They didn't necessarily respond yet. <laughs> I didn't really have any real conversations yet. It was a one-sided conversation, but I had started it. Therefore, I was in the process. And it felt so good to say that. And she was just like, that's awesome. I'm so excited for you. Make sure you like post pictures when you do all this stuff. And I was like, I will. And that was just the start of learning to find the evidence and speak in a way that created what I wanted rather than kept me stuck where I didn't want to be because that conversation could have ended a lot differently. I could have said, well, I've tried to reach out and nobody's responded. So I don't have any book yet. So I don't, I'm not actually going to be speaking anywhere. Right. And then that would have felt terrible. Would have put out some negative energy, attracted back some similar circumstances at that level and that frequency. And I probably just would have stayed stuck, but I didn't. So that was another big one. And then I would say the third major shift was actually pretty recently. It was in October. and. All of a sudden, it was this weird thing in my business where I kept trying things that didn't work. And it was odd to me because I've had a good bit of success 
So to have things not work, I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I'm very in touch with my spiritual side, obviously. So I'm like, okay, I think there's something here. And it was actually a moment of pity. Honestly, I remember feeling like a victim. I'm like, why is everything going wrong? I had just got married. So I'm like, I just got married. We just had our honeymoon, like all this stuff yet. Like, it's like one part of my life is going so well. And then another part, like what the heck? And I remember feeling like a victim. And then it occurred to me that the reason that none of this was working is because I was trying to follow everyone else's way. I was trying to learn from this person and that person on how they did it. Like they took these exact steps to get X, Y, Z result. Right. And none of those ways ever felt good to me. First of all, I just did them because I wanted to hit X, Y, Z goal. Right. And I realized that I wasn't supposed to follow anyone else's way. I'm supposed to follow my way. And it's very odd because I've started doing things since then that don't make a lot of sense that other people aren't doing in the industry, like really just creating my own path for the first time, truly not making decisions based on what other people do, but how does Jacqueline want to do it? What feels good to her? Knowing that what feels good to me might not feel good to someone else. And it really doesn't matter. And the way someone else does it, it's awesome. And I don't discredit them. It's not like their ways were wrong or bad, right? Like it's awesome that it's their way. And I've seen a lot of magic since then, just from opening up to my way and knowing that we're not supposed to follow anyone else's way. And it's been a good lesson for coaching too, because I get a lot of clients asking me, you know, they're, they're attracted to me often because they want to do similar things that I've done and they want to know the way. And being a good coach is helping them find their way. And I can offer suggestions and I can share, Hey, here are 10 things I've tried. Do any of these resonate with you? But the truth is everyone's going to have their own way. So I think that's the most recent one that I'm really enjoying embodying because it makes life feel a lot lighter and a lot easier and a lot more fun. Yeah, it makes sense. Does everyone get you? No, (laughs) people have not understood me my entire life. My mom always said I was like 10 years older than my age. Um, and, and I found that especially in college, like I started my business when I was a senior in college and I felt like I had already graduated. I wasn't interested in the things that other college students were interested in. I got married before all my friends got married. I'm just, I'm on a different timeline. I think maybe my souls lived like a bunch of other lives and learned a bunch of stuff that maybe other people are learning now. And so, yeah, people definitely don't get me. Uh, I've always struggled with jealousy from other people. Lots of weird uh, energetic stuff, I guess, but I don't feel like people need to understand me. I feel like I just need my people, the people who I meant to impact, to feel inspired by me, to understand my teachings and my friends and family, obviously, Uh, even if they don't get me to love me. And that's about the extent of it. Well, yeah, that's... It's good, right? Not everyone needs to get you. That's that's not that's not what it's about, right? You know, it's, tell me this is is pressure for diamonds or is that just poor planning? Hmm. I think about this a lot. I think this saying can be misinterpreted, and people can put 
unnecessary pressure on themselves, hoping for a diamond. But it's like, if you're mining, I don't know much about mining, but I can imagine if you're mining on, you know, in a place where there are no diamonds, no matter how much pressure you put, there's no diamond there. And I think that's where a lot of society is. There's this hustle culture, this work until your eyeballs bleed culture. And I totally disagree with it. I do agree with working hard towards something you're passionate about. And I've experienced both the hustling because I'm supposed to, because I think it's going to work or I, I need it to work and I'm desperate versus like my husband even said, like recently he's noticed I've been working way more hours for me than I used to. And he's like, but it's not this like hustle, be so burnout energy. It's like, Oh my God, I'm writing a new book. And Oh my God, I have this podcast interview. And like, it's just a different energy. So I do think pressure can really serve us when it's the right kind of pressure. What is the right kind of pressure? Uh, experiences that maybe we were served spiritually as um, experiences to learn a lesson or to have a redirection. I always believe failures fall into typically one of those two categories. Um, we can put pressure on ourselves in a way that feels really aligned. Like when I do a really hard workout or when I might even make like a deadline in my business, cause it feels really good. I know, um, when my husband and I moved into our house, we, before we moved in, we were renovating the entire house and I put a deadline on it. Cause I said, if we don't put a deadline, we probably will never move in. Cause it will always be another thing. And we were both living at home with our parents. So we were very comfortable. And I said, the pressure will be good. It will excite us. It will help us take action. So I think that's an example of pressure that was really good. So it just depends again, back to that thing I said earlier about the energy behind it, the energy behind the pressure, whether the pressure is coming from you or is kind of coming from something that feels out of your control. If you feel like it's serving you, like it's helping you grow, even if it's hard because pressure hurts, pressure is painful. If your intuition, if your gut tells you like, this is good pressure, trust it. But if it feels like pressure coming from society, coming from shoulds, coming from a place that doesn't feel aligned, know that it's doing way more harm than good. And you're never going to find any diamonds in a place where there were no diamonds to begin with. Mm. It's very, um, it's, it's a lovely way of looking at it. I suppose that, I mean, would you, it's slightly the same question, but slightly different actually. I mean, are you, you generally motivated by pain or pleasure then? Well, psychology says human beings are motivated moving away from pain. Yeah. But I find myself lit up by pleasure, by what's possible, by where I'm going. But then so I find that really interesting. Your your niche and your clients comes across as there's a pain there, right? So that's the pain of what they're trying to get over, right? So this is what I'm I'm sort of wondering. It's where where does the where does it lie for you? Yeah. Well, I do believe in psychology, and I do believe that humans are definitely motivated to move away from pain. I think that we can use pleasure as a motivator, knowing that when we strip down to our ego, to the hardest times, we're naturally going to want to move away from pain more than we're going to want to move towards pleasure. So pleasure could definitely be a part of the equation. 
it makes us feel good. And when we feel good, it creates all the good energy and makes us more magnetic. But I think knowing how humans behave on a very like the just base level is important and helpful in understanding like our patterns and decisions and behaviors. And I think I'm just like, I'm just human. So I'm just like everyone else at the end of the day. How do you pick yourself up out of a, if you're having a bad day or a flunk, I mean, what's, what's your behavior? What's your pattern? Yeah. So first I always say like, what's the next step? Like I don't try to have it all figured out, especially if it's like a failure or something that really feels like it went wrong one step at a time. That same concept is earlier. I also know that because it's really difficult for a human to go from a really negative emotion to a really positive emotion. I try to meet myself where I am and climb that emotional guidance scale and essentially go from like the terrible negative emotions to less terrible negative emotions. And we can use words, but again, what, what disappointment means to me might mean something different to you. Right. But if I feel like total despair, like I'm a victim and then I can go from that to feeling just disappointed, that feels like a win for me. I feel a little bit lighter. And then if I can go from feeling disappointed to feeling neutral, like I've made peace with what's happened, made peace with how I'm feeling. Sometimes there's nothing happened. I just, for some, I mean, subconsciously, there's probably something going on, but consciously I'm like, I don't know, just not feeling so good today. I'm not feeling it. That's okay. If I can just make peace with, okay, this is how I'm feeling. It's okay. Um, that's huge. And then once I get there, I might be able to get to like hope. So maybe a little bit of like, well, but what if this thing can work out or what if I spend my day doing this and, and then I can just slowly climb into like those higher level emotions. And it can be a process of, you know, I guess it could be a process of a few minutes. And sometimes it is if I meditate and just close my eyes and breathe a lot, Uh, but usually it might be a process of a few hours. And in the past, it used to be days and even weeks. So I think something as I've become more emotionally intelligent, I've been able to shrink the process down and climb that scale faster, both by feeling and allowing the emotions and also through action, like also saying, okay, well, what would feel good to me right now? And what feels like the path of least resistance? And, you know, as humans, we try to fight ourselves a lot. Like there's so many shoulds, even I just think about my day yesterday, I I woke up and I had a plan for what I was going to do. It's Sunday. So I got to get stuff done. And on my agenda, we're to put away our Christmas decorations and write thank yous from our wedding. And I didn't feel like doing either of those things. I was like, I do not feel like doing these things. I went, I worked out. And then I'm like, you know, all I really want to do is read my book. And so I'm like, okay, that's okay. And I just allow it. And, you know, there's all these feelings that come up inside of you, right? Like your inner voice, man, it can be pretty mean. It's like, my husband's going to judge me for not doing the things I said I was going to do. Is he going to put the Christmas decorations downstairs, even though I said I was going to do it and then be mad that I didn't do it? Or, you know, am I just not going to do it at all? Are the Christmas decorations going to sit out for the entire month, right? Like all these crazy, just unrealistic thoughts. And I just allowed them just like, oh, those things aren't true. I've heard it before to just like, imagine your thoughts, like clouds floating by. It's like, okay, those things aren't true. I see you, but they're not true. And I'm just going to like, trust my trust my flow. So I read my book. Then I decided to, um, take some of an online course that I was interested in. I did that. Then I took a shower. Then we had dinner. Now it's like probably honestly 
seven 30 in the evening. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I really feel like putting the Christmas decorations away. And I didn't know I was going to feel that way. I didn't, it would have been okay if I didn't do them. Right. But I'm like, you know, I, I feel like I have this like second wind and I felt like I had taken care of myself all day and I felt really rejuvenated. And so I put the Christmas decorations away. And then I thought, Oh, it feels really fun to sit on the couch and put shark tank on in the background and write my thank yous. So then I did that for a few hours and I thought, gosh, thank God I listened. Thank God I allowed that. And I had a great day and then I woke up today feeling so good. And then I worked on my book and now I'm here with you and it's great, but it could have been terrible because it could have been like, well, you have to put the decorations away and then you have to write the thank yous. And then I would have been so miserable. And maybe I would have read my book by the evening, but I would have been so angry that I had such a hard day and I had to do all these things and blah, blah, blah. Right. And then I would have woke up today feeling like, oh man, I barely relaxed all weekend. And now I'm back to work. Right. And so it's just really interesting the way we can, uh, go about that flow. And it's really just about taking those small steps to just ask yourself a question, you know, what feels aligned right now? I think we're afraid that if we allow ourselves to do the things that feel good, we're going to watch Netflix 24 seven, eat cake for all our meals and like never do anything. And you may, if you're really burnt out or you have like a bad relationship with food, you may do those things right for a short period of time, but eventually you're going to even out and realize that you want to do other things and you want to feel fulfilled and you want to feel good. Right. So I think when we just allow ourselves to do the things that feel good, usually we can climb that scale. Um, and if you're feeling really down, you might just say like, what would feel a little bit better than the way I'm feeling right now and start there. Do you think that's the baseline for humans that we are, you know, goal seeking, we are fulfillment seeking creatures, but then life just gets layered and thrown on top and expectations and beliefs and trauma and to, blah, 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 all the other experiences. Do, do you think that's what it is? We have a baseline and just everything thereafter sort of falls to the wayside and, and whether or not you can, you know, get your head above the parapet or not is the question of whether you, you, you know, you, whether you do something with your life, if you like. Absolutely. I think that we're wired to desire more. And this is something that this is, this is a huge theme of my book that I'm writing we're taught in society that it's like bad to want more, that you should be happy now. And the way to be happy now is to not want more, but that's backwards because we've been designed to desire more. And every time we get to a certain level, we expand again and there's more. Right. And it doesn't have to be more of the same thing. So like someone might get to a level where they're not interested in more wealth, but maybe they're interested in like creating, making a garden in their backyard and growing all their own vegetables. And then once they do that, they're really interested in learning another language or, you know, we always are wired to have goals and go for things in life. And when we just allow ourselves to, to go for the goals and we do it in a way where we heal all of those things you mentioned, then I believe that that's what creates our happiest, most fulfilled state but it takes a lot of healing. And a lot of people are on that scale on a lower level where if they're stuck in despair, how are they ever going to have hope or go for a goal? Right. So it does take climbing out of that one step at a time and having tools and resources to do that. 
I think it's a very valid point because I mean, this expression I particularly love is, you know, you, for some people, their voids are their values, you know? So as you say that, you know, if they're particularly burnt out or whatever, then, or their, their, their goal is money, for example, and quite often it's because they didn't have any when they were growing up. Yeah. But then they achieve their goal and that means nothing. Yeah. And in fact, if anything, they go into self-sabotage because they're not, they're not used to having it. So they're used to always wanting it. That's the affirmation. That's the manifestation. You know, I want more money. And it's like when they get it, they're like, no, 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 I'm not used to this. I need to go back to wanting more money. Yeah. You know, right. So uh, I suppose the, the takeaway of what I'm trying to get to here is it's okay if your goals change or it's okay if things, you know, your, you know, your, your house garden or a hobby changes. It's okay too. Right. You know, cause that's part of the process. Yeah. And I don't think that's talked about enough either. I think there's, I mean, gosh, in the United States, you have to like pick your major when you're, you know, 18 years old and that's what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. And I just think, what the heck? It, it is absolutely. I, so I wouldn't backwards. trust me to make that decision at that, at that age. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I, I think absolutely we should change, right? Like as every new experience we have shapes our desires. And a lot of times you, you don't know that you want something because you've never been presented with it. So a really surface level example is like, maybe there's a type of car that you want now, but 10 years ago, you didn't even know that car existed, right? You, you never even, Oh, you never even saw it. You never came across that. Or maybe there's like something in your life that, you know, you, you recently came across you, I don't know, you were on a walk and you saw like this one house in your neighborhood has like this beautiful chandelier hanging from their porch. And you never even knew you could have an outdoor chandelier. That's a very silly example, but in the new, that's the, that's exactly what I want on my front porch, right? Every new experience, you're going to have a new desire. And sometimes you want something like you said, because it came from a place of not enoughness. It came from a place of a societal desire that we talked about earlier as something that I would call like out of alignment. So you thought you wanted X, Y, or Z. Let's say you thought you wanted to be a doctor because your whole, your whole childhood, you were told by your parents, very well-meaning that doctors are so successful. And so you went all through medical school, you finally became a doctor and now you're working, you're maybe three years into it. And you're like, I hate being a doctor. And then you're like, is something wrong with me? No, that was never your desire. It was your parents' desire that they well-meaning put on your subconscious mind. You thought it was your desire. You went for it. And now you've had the realization that it wasn't, that's not your desire. So in that case, like, please, 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 please allow yourself to change your mind, allow yourself to figure out what your true desires are to figure out what is in alignment for you and go for it and know that you were supposed to go on that path. You were meant to go on that path. And you know, there's, there's good coming out of that. So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is like your desires will always evolve as you see more. So both, and they both result in new desires. So yeah, it's not talked about very often. And I think it should be. How often do you think people find their true desires? Not enough. I think majority of people are living a life that is just getting by, is just doing something that 
is fulfilling enough or even worse, just pays the bills because they have to. And, th- and that's, they, they feel, I've had this conversation with my dad many times because as someone who did whatever horrible, stressful jobs in, in when I was growing up, because he had to pay the bills because he had to support our family and he would do whatever it took. And that is the biggest act of selflessness for our family. And I'm so grateful. And I also believe that it doesn't have to be that way. It's hard to though, isn't it? You know, people are going to take that statement and trying to convert that into a new way of thinking. You know, take- and you can just start where you are. This is, I'll, I'll use my dad as the example. So my dad hated his job. My whole childhood that I can remember, I never remember my dad having a job that he loved or smiled about. And particularly the years that are really clear in my memory of like middle school, high school, he had a job that he absolutely hated. He worked 12 hour days. Um, he didn't get paid very much. Like we, we just kind of got by. My mom went back to work. My mom was a stay at home mom when I was really young, but she went back to work. Um, I, I think I can't even remember, but I think it was around the recession. Um, when my dad actually switched this job that he hated for so long. And I would always try to encourage him like, dad, like maybe a different job might be better. Right. But he was so set that like this job, like paid the bills and was stable and all these things. And I was grateful again, like that. I, my parents gave me everything. They always sacrificed for their children. And I'm so fortunate to to have that. I wouldn't be the person to have these opportunities be here today without that. But I, I knew in the back of my mind, there was something more out there for him. I just knew it. And I had heard him say a few times before that his dream job was to be a school bus driver. He, He had mentioned this like quite a few times and you know, I was like, I tried before, like, maybe look into it. And, you know, no, I don't have time to look into it. I'm tired after work, you know? So then one day, uh, just about a year ago, he comes home from work and he says that he found out that he's going to have to work Saturdays. And when I was a kid, he had to work Saturdays when I was really young and he absolutely hated it. He, his number one value is family and having to be away from his family when everyone else was home was just treacherous to him. And so he left that job, actually, I think taking a pay cut to be able to have a job that he didn't have to work Saturdays because like he just would do anything to be with his family on the weekends. So I knew that this was stabbing his heart and I knew that he just was even more miserable. And I thought, I can't let this happen. So I start researching the school bus driver jobs. And I find this opportunity for him that, of course, is way less hours. It's actually part-time. Yet, even in the part-time hours, he makes more money than his full-time job. He gets a pension. He gets all these really great benefits. Whereas before he had this huge deductible, I mean, it's not even comparable. So I send him the job and he's like, oh, okay, I'll apply. And I mean, I took him through meditations on like what he wanted. I mean, I really got him behind this. He actually took a leap of faith, which I can't even believe this happened, where he left his old job before he had heard if he was going to get this new job. But he figured I'll just retire. You know, I'll just tap into my retirement and take an early retirement. 
Well, of course he gets the job. He studies so hard for all his tests because he has to pass these different licensing tests to be able to drive the school bus. And I've never seen him happier in my entire life. And, you know, is he a millionaire? No, but he's so happy. My parents have more financial freedom. He works way less hours. He's way less stress. And it was just one tiny step really of, of one acknowledging like one possible scenario. So he didn't go from like having this job he hated to saying he wanted to like make $10 million a year, right? Like climbing that ladder. Um, but I believe there's more for him and I'm not done with him, <laughs> but he took that one step of, okay, what's possible for me. And also this is an example of having people in your life who believe in more, which I said earlier about my role for other people. I do believe, and I can't do that for everyone, but you know, one-on-one, but I, I do believe that we can all surround ourselves with people who believe in us and who believe there's more possible for us and are going to help us show us the way when we can't see it ourselves. And he, he took that one step by putting himself out there by taking that leap of faith, which I think was really a spiritual act of, you know, I believe this is possible for me. Mm. And of course it worked out. It was, it was always going to work out. It was always leading up to this. And, um, I also think the example of the six day a week thing or the Saturdays, that was the universe intervening because it had tried so many times to get him to move and he wouldn't move. So the universe is like, finally, this is going to be something I know will make him move. So I think that's an example for people who maybe are listening and, and relate to my dad. I think that that story might help them. Do we have to break down to break through? I don't like that necessarily because I think sometimes we can self-create chaos mm -hmm. um, because we believe that it has to be chaotic to create new, wonderful, magical things. But I believe there's always magic in the breakdown. And if and when it comes, you can welcome it, know that there's something in it for you, but you don't need to create problems that aren't there because we tend to do that a lot too. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a classic arsonist firefighter. <laughs> Set the fire and it's like, yeah, and then come into my, you know, sort of firefight gear and put the fire and it's like, aren't I brilliant? It's like, oh, no, but you started the fire. <laughs> it's like, it's all the point. I put the fire out, right? Yeah. hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> what, uh, I mean, you talked about your father's values. What's, what's your values? Hmm. I value the feeling of expansion more going against sort of what people believe is the way it has to be. Um, so an example of this value, when I was planning my wedding, every single person that I spoke with, and I am not exaggerating, that whether it be, I'm on a podcast interview, it's a friend, just these well-meaning people. And they would ask about my wedding. How's wedding planning going? The next thing they would always say is must be stressful. And that drove me wild because I thought, why, why does it have to be stressful? Right? Because there's some belief in society that planning a wedding is stressful. Mm. And I decided that while there might be curveballs. And there might be circumstances that are difficult, especially planning a wedding during a pandemic when we had to postpone our wedding. Yes, there were lots of curveballs, but I decided that I was going to remain calm, cool, and collected. And I was going to be the person that proved this belief wrong 
And I, I really value like creating your own story for your life through expansion, which is often leaving behind stories of how people say it is supposed to be or has to be. So that's one of my top values. I definitely value family and friends. It's always been super important to me and you know how I spend a lot of my time. I definitely value freedom. I value the ability to be creative and not be stuck in some kind of prison. And I think I've created that with my business and even in the decisions I make within my business, I think about that. How can I create this flexibility and freedom? And I value the advancement of human beings. I value doing good for others in whatever way inspires you personally. For me, the value within my business is obviously sharing this content and knowledge. And outside of my business, I really value like random acts of kindness. Um, So like I love like leaving a really big tip at a restaurant or, um, you know, doing something really unexpected for like a family member, something really generous, um, something really kind, something really meaningful ways. And for strangers, like whatever, whatever ways that just, if it feels good, then I value it. If it's doing good for society and um, just making the world a better place. So those would be the the top values, I would say, in my life. Wow. What's, what's the nicest thing someone could say about you? Hmm. I think the nicest thing that I've been told uh, by my clients, which means so much, is that I don't have any judgment and I don't believe that like it needs to be a certain way. So, I mean, I have clients who live like very different lives than me, who make decisions that are very different than the decisions that I would make. And I just welcome it. I'm open. I don't approach any conversation with judgment. I approach it with love. And I think that in today's world, especially, with social media and cancel culture and all these things, I think judgment is everywhere. And to be able to know I'm not perfect, but I really pride myself on not judging others and really being open to the belief that everyone is doing the best they can with the belief system they have. And maybe something that works for someone else wouldn't necessarily work for me, but who am I to judge it? So Mm. That's probably the nicest thing. Hmm. What are you great at? And what are you terrible at? I'm great at speaking and delivering a message through words. I am terrible at details. (laughs) One time uh, when we first bought our house, I pulled up to the driveway and my husband said, do you notice anything? I said, no. He said, we had the two biggest trees in our yard cut down. I did not notice. <laughs> yeah, semantics. <laughs> I love it. Isn't it funny? I create quite often. It's, it's, it's one or other, right? The creative, depending on, your, you know, different models, but creative people 
quite often work well with detailed people because it's it's just the different parts of the jigsaw, right? You Absolutely. Know. And that's why we have teams and we don't have to do things on our own. Absolutely. What's what's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you, Jacqueline? Mm, guilty pleasure. Well, I don't like that word already because it's like Take indulging in something <laughs> that makes you feel guilty. Guilt-free, um, guilty pleasure. Put it that way. Okay. Hmm. Candy. <laughs> I wine like and, wine and once in a while or... having some nice candy on like some, um, not chocolate, like sugary candy, like Sour Patch Kids or something while we're watching a movie. <laughs> it's amazing how often wine, sweets, crisps, chocolates, whatever, you know, always come up there. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. We're all human at the same time. It's like, oh yeah, movie night or popcorn or whatever, right? You know, it's, uh, it's your thing. And, and leisure and pleasure for you, what does that look like? Family, friends, time, social gatherings. I'm very extroverted in a lot of ways. Or total me time, take a bath, relax, go for a walk, listen to a podcast. Maybe if I'm feeling really inspired, bake some banana bread, something like that. Well, what's something that not many people know about you? Mm. I don't know. I share a lot of my life publicly on the internet. So I have to think about this one a bit. Sorry for the long pause. I just really feel like I'm so open. It's hard. You really are open. <laughs> That's great. I don't know. I can't, I don't know. I mean like dumb things. Like I could say like, I have a, I had a goldfish when I was a kid and it was my only pet and I had him for 10 years. Cause my dad's allergic to um, all animal furs and I really want to get a puppy, but Richie and I decided that uh, we're going to wait till we have kids. Cause we don't, we want to be able to travel um, a bit without having to, you know, <laughs> but that that's not very good one. It's not very deep. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, I feel like. Well, what sort of puppies are going to be? And what's his name going to be? Oh, well, I want a French bulldog, but Richie wants a golden doodle, which I do like golden doodles. He says he's allergic, but I'm like, are you? I've never seen you sneeze <laughs> around a dog. He's like, we can only get a golden doodle because I'm allergic to all other types. <laughs> we'll get your lifetime supply of antihistamines or something to you know, suck it up. The dog's coming yeah. whether you want to or not. Yeah. I, have you ever seen the target like logo? It's like a little dog with mm. a spot on its eye. I think its name is spot. I'm like, I want the target dog. I want spot. <laughs> oh, no pressure. Oh, I love it. I love it. So tell me, I mean, what, what for you then, if you were to try and describe your fire in the belly in one or two words, what, what would they be? Mm. Pursuing goals is pursuing not a chase word is not a i don't know i'm curious is it the pursuing i don't know it's interesting what do you mean no i mean when we pursue something you know i just uh, when we future state it you know it's i don't know just curious yeah so i think I think the pursuit is the thing because there will always be another thing. So if you don't enjoy, if the pursuit doesn't light you up mm. then you'll never be lit up and then you'll be stuck on the hedonic treadmill where your happiness is always in the next goal. 
But if you can love the pursuit and the pursuit is the thing that sparks you or creates that fire, then you'll have fire all the time and be really happy. Lovely. I like it. So tell us where can people find out more about you, track you down, hunt you down, stalk you, buy your book, follow you, listen to your podcasts. Yeah. So my website is JacquelineGallo.com. You can find me on Instagram, Jacqueline double underscore Gallo. And I have a bunch of links in my Instagram bio to different things. And my podcast is called Spark Your Light. So quite similar themes here with fire in the belly. Love it. And what's with your podcast? I mean, who are you reaching out to? What's your, what's your purpose there? Yeah, I have a lot of solo episodes where I just talk about manifestation and achieving your goals. And I occasionally have guests, uh, just like different experts in different areas that maybe I'm not as familiar with or who have a unique take on anything related to creating a life you love, really. Hmm. Well, and if there's a final message you'd like to leave with our guests this evening or our listeners, what would you like to say? I would like to say whatever is on your heart right now, after listening, whatever you're lit up about, whatever you are excited about, know that it's possible for you and have the courage to take the first step. Well, beautiful. Jacqueline, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for your sharing and for your fun and your answers. And uh, yeah, look forward to your promotion from goldfish to dog, you know, all these beautiful things that are going to happen. So listen, uh, genuinely thank you for coming on until the next time. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.